Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For our second segment, I'm excited to have Jordan Brown, Admission Officer at Occidental College in Los Angeles, as my guest. He is the Coordinator of Student-Athlete Recruitment at Oxy and will be advising us on the Division III athletic recruitment process and in general, not just at Occidental. For our third segment, Kara Courtois, veteran of the Barnard Admission Office and longtime consultant with College Coach, will be discussing summer plans for high school students with me. And yes, I know it's scary, it's only January, but it is already time to start thinking about them. Uh, But first, we'll be talking with Kathy Ruby, college finance expert here at College Coach and veteran of the financial aid offices at St. Olaf College in Minnesota and Shippensburg University of Pennsylvania. She will be going over how to compare financial aid award letters from colleges. It's uh, much more complicated than it seems, so be sure to tune in for that. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Sally. Hi. So, okay, so today we're talking about how to compare award letters. So I think the hardest part for families, because I've tried to help families do this before, is making sure they're comparing apples to apples when they're comparing financial aid awards, because they're, they're really different. I think families expect the categories to be the same and to line up for, for it to be simple, but they're all really different. Yes, that's absolutely true. They're all different. Some of them, you know, starting with how they're delivered, some of them are on paper, some are electronic, some provide the total cost of attendance, others just provide, you know, the direct cost that you're going to pay to the school. Um, some provide actual costs and others look just at averages or estimates. So the first thing you just need to sort of get in the frame of mind that you want to read very carefully. Um, You know, nobody's trying to intentionally mislead you, but essentially all of these schools have different ideas of what what good communication means. Um, And you may see a little bit of consistency. There is something called a shopping sheet that the federal government issued that they encouraged colleges to use, but they're not required to use it. So you may see a little bit of consistency. Um, But my first suggestion is to make yourself a spreadsheet. Um, There's also a college cost comparison tool on the College Board's website, the Big Future website. But um, either use a spreadsheet or find a tool online to to help you organize what you're trying to research here. Mm -hmm. All right. So where should people start uh, when they're looking at all this information? Yeah, I think the first step is to look at the costs. I mean, that, that, I mean they'll, they'll give you some form of a cost on a financial aid award. Um, and actually, I do want to clarify here, we're talking about financial aid award letters, which come from the financial aid office. These are not to be confused with merit scholarship letters that usually come from the admissions office and may just say, you know, congratulations, here's a scholarship. The financial aid award letter actually comes from the financial aid office. It usually starts out with, you know, we've reviewed your FAFSA, we've reviewed your CSS profile, and here's a total picture of what things are going to look like. So the first thing to start with is the costs. Um, And most families like to separate the direct costs from the indirect costs. So direct costs would be, you know, tuition and fees and room and board, what you're going to actually pay to the college. 
Um, and then indirect costs are sort of the more the softer costs, and they're more like estimates of books and personal expenses and transportation. Um, so a lot of people, I know a lot of families like to just, so they're comparing apples to apples, just look at the tuition fees, room and board. But of course, if you're looking at a geographically diverse group of schools, you will want to count in transportation. Um, and so the the first thing to look at is whether the college has given you an estimate of the costs and or whether they're using averages um, and check out to see maybe your child's in a more expensive program. And so if the college is presenting an average, but your child's in the engineering program or the nursing program that has extra fees, um, you're going to want to research that on their website. Take a look at the room and board. Most of the time colleges do use averages or they'll use the sort of standard number. And room and board can really vary based on the dorm that your student's in and the kind of meal plan they choose. So you'll want to spend some time on the website trying to get a sense of what the range of the actual cost might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if your son is a football player, he might not eat as much as, um, you know, someone who isn't an athlete, for example. <laughs> you know, right. I, I've seen major differences in meal plans depending on how yes. much the student eats. So, um, Exactly. All right. So once you have costs nailed down, uh, what about the money that's been awarded? Okay. Well, so the first thing you want to know, of course, is where's the free money? Uh, what's what's the free money? We're gonna and and also understanding what are what's a grant, what's a scholarship, and then what's a loan and what's what's work study. We're not actually going to talk much about loans and work study today, just because we don't have time, and we're really just focusing on how to compare the awards. Um, But just remember that loans and work-study, they're really just other ways for you to pay. So the student's either going to have to earn the money or you're going to have to pay back the loans. So what we really want to focus on are the grants and the scholarships. So for each school, um, add it up and subtract it from the direct costs. And that's how you get to the net price for each school. And then you can compare apples to apples. Um, As you're looking at that grant and scholarship aid, first you want to understand, um, is it based on merit or is it based on need? Because um, you really want to know whether or not it's going to be renewed for four years. Merit-based scholarships usually have some kind of a GPA requirement or and also likely some kind of an enrollment requirement, like you have to be a full-time student and you have to maintain a certain GPA. So dig into that and don't be afraid to ask questions of the college. You know, if if the GPA requirement is 3.5, ask them, you know, what percentage of students don't get their merit scholarships renewed. Um, If it's a need-based grant, that's a little more complicated because colleges evaluate your need every year. So there'll probably be some language in the award that says something along the lines of, you know, you can expect this need-based grant to be renewed each year if your financial situation remains similar from year to year. Um, But you kind of want to understand what does that mean? You know, is your income going to change? Maybe you have two kids in college and one of them is going to graduate. Or maybe the other way around, you have one child in college and you're going to have two in a couple years. So really see if you can get a sense of um, how renewable those need-based grants are going to be. And if you're going to have big changes in your finances, don't be afraid to reach out to the financial aid office to ask about how that might affect future eligibility because you really want to think about this 
as a four-year investment, right? And so you want to make sure you've done at least some rough math on what things are going to look like for each year. Um, mm-hmm. And again, don't be afraid to reach out to them because they're happy to happy to clarify that for you. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that do tend to cause confusion on an award letter? Um, I think the cost of attendance, the 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 award letters I've seen, um, they really can cause some confusion. And then I think simply um, the the names of the awards can cause confusion. Uh, I, there's been a recent study done, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but essentially an organization gathered hundreds of award letters, and there was an amazing number of ways that colleges uh, outlined or, or um, presented the federal direct student loan, which is from the government. Like there, were, there were about 18 or 20 different names that got used. So I think there can be inconsistency in how colleges name the awards, which can cause confusion. Um, and then the other piece of information that I think creates confusion on an award letter is the expected family contribution. Um, and that's the number, of course, that's calculated when you complete the FAFSA and you see your EFC after you push submit on the FAFSA. Um, and then if you had to complete the CSS profile, you don't see your EFC until you get it on a financial aid award. But the thing about the EFC is it's almost, I don't know, it almost doesn't matter because <laughs> it was there to determine your eligibility um, and it's a good reference point. And for colleges that meet your full need, that EFC is probably pretty close to what you're going to have to pay. But most colleges don't meet full need. So what you actually have to pay is the difference between the cost of the college and the grant and scholarship aid that the student has been offered. And so that's what really matters. That's what you're going to be expected to pay. So try not to get too distracted by the expected family contribution. It's a, it's a good reference point, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, and I think the, the last thing that colleges do that is super confusing, I think, is that some colleges will actually package a parent with a parent loan, with the federal parent loan program called the Federal Direct Plus Loan Program. And essentially what they're saying is, okay, we've given you this much, and then if you need to come up with the rest, if you want to, you can borrow from this federal direct parent loan program. And so what happens is you get this award, and you look at the bottom line, and it looks like everything's covered. It looks just marvelous. Um, But then when you dig a little more deeply, you see that a good chunk of that is probably from a loan program. So don't be deceived. Um, know that you can get the federal parent loan at any college that participates in federal loans, which is pretty much everybody, um, but that some colleges will put it right on the award to make you, uh, to help you see that you can borrow it and it'll make things look really rosier than they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. Look, everything's covered except for that 20000 loan. <laughs> except for that $20,000 loan. Well, and, and actually the other thing I've seen colleges do is sometimes they'll put that PLUS loan on there and they'll sometimes they'll offer a PLUS loan that brings you all the way to the cost of attendance. And so then you look like, you know, you've got a free ride, right? Um, and remember too, by the way, you can borrow from the PLUS loan all the way up to the cost of attendance, but that means you'd be borrowing um, to also cover books and personal expenses, which we really encourage families pay that out of pocket. 
Um, but then the other thing I've seen colleges do is they'll award a PLUS loan, but maybe they don't offer you the amount all the way up to the cost of attendance. Um, and just know that if you decide to borrow a PLUS loan, your maximum eligibility is the cost of attendance less other financial aid that's received. So, um, you know, so it's, it's a mixed bag how colleges treat that PLUS loan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Are there any calculators out there to help families figure out how much they might have to borrow and what that's going to look like? Because I think these days most families are taking out some loans, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, you the first you want to figure out, okay, what do we actually have to come up with? What are, what are we going to have to pay? And then certainly you're going to be looking at your savings. Um, I would also encourage you to look at your cash flow and really figure out whether you can pay some out of pocket before you even do borrow. Um, because remember, you have a, a child who's leaving your household, and that, that child is expensive. Um, <laughs> they eat a lot of food. They take hot showers. They participate in a lot of extracurricular activities, and you've been paying for college application fees and college tours, all kinds of things that are going to go away when your child leaves your household. So first, really take a hard look at your cash flow. Take a look at your budget and figure out whether you can afford to pay something out of pocket because colleges, uh, most colleges offer some kind of a monthly payment plan that you can usually enroll in for some nominal fee. Um, and then you do have to sit down and figure out, okay, this is what we might need to borrow. Um, certainly you'll be looking at what the student has to borrow um, and what's available to them from the federal direct student loan and then you'll be trying to figure out, okay, what are we as parents going to be able to borrow? Um, so there are two calculators on the College Board's website. So again, we refer to the College Board website quite a bit, but it's bigfuture.collegeboard.org. And you just go to their section on paying for college, and there's a whole set of tools and calculators. And they actually have a calculator that's uh, a parent debt calculator. And they'll actually, you put in your numbers, um, including your income, and then and you put in the percentage of income that you're comfortable with as a debt-to-income kind of ratio. And then they let you know how much you would be able to borrow at, and stay within those guidelines. So that's a great calculator. And then there's another one that actually calculates your estimated payments. Um, there's also a student loan repayment calculator on the website bankrate.com, which is a good one because certainly you want to be informed both about what you're borrowing and what your student might be borrowing um, as you're putting that plan together. All right. Well, it's a lot to think about. Thanks so much, Kathy. You're welcome. All right, so now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, we'll be talking with Jordan Brown of Occidental College about the Division Three college athletic recruiting process. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, 
What options are available to pay for college? And most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application? We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, now... We'll be talking to Jordan Brown of Occidental College. Welcome, Jordan. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I really appreciate you being on. It's always great to have a guest star. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm really excited. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. So, um, so you work with student athletes, and I think that um, it's the student recruitment process is a is kind of a mysterious one to a lot of parents and students they're pretty confused about it so um i was really hoping i think maybe we could start with if a student approached you who was interested in completing competing athletically at the division three level what would you tell them like how would you get them started what would you tell them to do first you know what how would you get them started in the process Oh, absolutely. So, you know, if we're starting at the very beginning, it's not too unlike building a college list for someone who's not a student athlete, uh, right? You want to make sure they're offering the academic programs you're interested in, uh, maybe a specific kind of location, the size of the school. The difference then becomes when you overlay that athletic piece. And that that can mean a couple things. Uh, you know, that can mean if you do track and field or swimming, kind of cross-referencing your times and results with the times and results of the, the teams that you're interested in participating on. Um, but it can also mean sort of what, what kind of athletic experience are you looking for? Or do you want that Division One experience? Or are you hoping for maybe a little more balance uh, that, that's afforded in Division Three? And then even within Division Three. You want to you want to consider uh, the conference and, and the kind of what the the time commitment looks like. Uh, for example, Occidental's in the Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference uh, with eight other schools, and all of our uh, all of our schools are within two hours of us. So there's not really any extended travel time. So you, in some cases, miss 
no class and in a lot of cases, minimal class time uh, where that's not always the case. So that's kind of where I would start. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said about you've got to overlay it with a list of colleges. Like I always tell students, regardless of what you're thinking about in terms of being a student athlete recruit, you also need to have some academic safeties. And, you know, there's always a chance you could be a walk on. Right. So you've, you've got to really overlay and kind of put the two lists together. Um, now, what like how early should a student like, let's say you're talking to a 10th grader. Um, you know, should they be getting in touch with a coach already? Like when do the parents kind of think about getting in touch with the school, with the coaches themselves? You know, some athletic recruiting is happening earlier and earlier, and I think uh, popular media captures some of the Division One stories where you see, you know, fifth grader offered athletic scholarship. Um, but really, to be honest, um, at the Division Three level, I think junior year is a totally appropriate time to start initiating contact with a coach. Uh, and oftentimes, and we can get into this in a little bit, we're, we're really, you know, at selective Division Three schools, we're not really able to get a sense of a student's kind of academic record until junior year is completed and you've taken some standardized tests. So I think really junior year is an appropriate time to reach out. And I'll say that it absolutely is a normalized behavior to send an email directly to uh, a Division three coach. That's something that students should feel completely comfortable doing. Additionally, uh, most athletics websites have recruit forms, uh, and I would definitely encourage interested prospective student-athletes to fill out those recruit forms as well because those are things that uh, coaches, coaches sift through as they're going about their recruiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think it, that might even be especially important for D3, because I'm just guessing they don't have the big budget to send scouts out to every high school, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, that's, so, a, that's, a, yeah, that's a really good point. A lot of our recruited student-athletes, um, you know, Division three coaches may never see in person. I mean, our coaches do a really good job kind of canvassing as much as they can, but absolutely, you know, a, a video is oftentimes all they have to go off of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if a student then... Like what, what then happens once that initial contact is made? Will the coach then, you know, have a conversation with them or will they say, come back to me when you have your SAT scores? Like what, you know, what does the coach usually communicate to a student who seems like they might be a likely prospect? Mm-hmm. So what, what, what then happens is typically at the, you know, at the conclusion of junior year, uh, the coach is going gonna, is gonna to ask for, oftentimes transcripts and test scores. So students should absolutely feel uh, prepared to volunteer that information, and that's a very normal uh, coach behavior to ask for that. And then from there, um, and this is where, you know, within Division Three, you get some variance in terms of uh, how schools go about athletic recruiting. Um, but coaches often will run the transcript and test scores and senior year course schedule by an admissions person, and then they can give uh, the coach a general sense of kind of level of competitiveness for admission. And, and that's just to make sure that you know, the coach isn't wasting their time and they're also not wasting the student's time because that's not something any party wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I worked at a school where we actually sent out likely letters to athletes, you mm-hmm. know, where we were like, you will almost certainly get in. It was kind of a way to give us some wiggle room if they got a D or something like that. But um, to my knowledge, in the years that I was there, we never went back on it. 
you know, mm-hmm. like because the, mm-hmm. the athletes always maintained uh, where they were when they were first, you know, demonstrating interest. So is that pretty common or? It, it definitely it definitely happens. So some schools will produce likely letters um, or kind of early read letters that get sent specifically to the student. Um, other schools use uh, kind of a less formal approach where they'll tell the you know the coach you know that you know barring any change in academic performance this student is very likely to be admitted uh, and then there's you know different policies in place for how the coach then relays that information back to the student so in some cases um, students uh, may receive a, receive a letter and then in other cases it may be less formal feedback from the coach. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brings up another issue too, which is how does a student know? If a coach genuinely considers them a recruit, where they're a recruit, where they're going to like push for them with the admission office, um, or if they're just encouraging them to apply because they're thinking of them kind of more as if this kid gets in, they'll be awesome. But I, I only want to use like I only have a few slots um, mm-hmm. to pull with the admission office, and I'm not going to use it for this particular student. And actually, now that I say that, I think like, I think I've just realized that I've gotten ahead of myself. Um, you know, why don't we kind of back up and you can kind of talk about the kind of an edge being a recruit might play in the admission process. Like if a student does apply and the coach does really want them, how much of an, of an impact might that have um, in terms of them being able to get in? Yeah, absolutely. So that that's another one that uh it 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 really depends institution to institution, but by and large, uh admissions offices regard recruited student athletes uh as being people that are uh bringing their talent and impacting the community uh through their sport. Um, so it's it's a part of the holistic admissions process in terms of kind of understanding the value that athletics plays within a community. So it absolutely uh, can be used as a hook. Um, so it's something where um, I'm not aware of you know you know very selective places that do anything egregious in terms of admitting students, but absolutely along the margins, if there's two comparable students and one's a recruited student athlete, um, then absolutely that could play a factor in their admissions decision. And uh, the other thing we see in, in Division Three athletics too, um, especially at the selective level, is this is this push uh, to go early. Um, so oftentimes, uh, you know, coaches may use language about supporting students who are, uh, if, you, if you choose to apply early decision. Um, but getting to your other point about knowing sort of where a student uh, may stand in the coach's sort of rank order of, of uh, recruits, that's something that the student may never totally know. Uh, and I think the best way to mitigate any any sort of miscommunication is to have constant communication and a relationship with that coach to the point where um, no one no one wants to mislead one another. So if you you know if the student's being honest with the coach, then uh, the hope is that the coach is being honest with the student. And then the other thing is do your due diligence. Um, I, I played college tennis and. Um, Tennis is actually more empirical than people realize. It's, it's more like track and swimming in terms of understanding how, how good someone is. So I could get a pretty good sense of where I was going to fit into my potential college team on my own. Um, so it's really kind of having your eyes open to, to your own talent and achievement relative to the team you're trying to play on as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually tell um, for the more subjective sports, 
I mean, as you said, like, you know, track and swimming is really easy. Like just, you know, you yeah. can look at the numbers. But for the more subjective sports, I also tell students to talk to their own coaches because sometimes a high school coach or like a club team coach might have a really good sense of the level of play at the different colleges. Is that something that you've seen work in the past or do you think it's more about just getting straight in touch with the college coach? Oh, no, I, I think absolutely. High school coaches, club coaches, uh, in, the, in those sports where it's maybe not as easily to predict or project where someone's falling are excellent resources for students to, to kind of vet that out. And they, there's someone that, of course, you have that pre-existing relationship so they can be honest with you and give you a, a sense of, of, where, of where you may fit in level-wise. No, I think that's a great, great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always say, like, tell them that you want them to be honest. You know, sometimes people... You know, your own personal coach might not want to discourage you too much. So, you know, they they want to encourage you. They want to encourage you to keep working hard. But, you know, realistically, they know that you're not going to play in college. And so it's kind of can be tough for them, I think, to know how honest to be sometimes. So I always tell students and parents, like, just say, look, we want to know the unvarnished truth. He's going to keep playing. He's psyched to keep playing. But it would just be better if we knew. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I always encourage them, like, p- to say, please be honest with me, because I find that not everybody's willing and ready to hear that either. No, I I, I, I agree, um, and I think I, I think being honest and, and having those candid conversations is critical. And and the truth is, there's always there's always the possibility of someone who wasn't previously getting recruited uh, Division One getting recruited division one, getting offered a scholarship, and then all of a sudden you slide up one spot on the division three coaches board, but then the opposite can happen as well. So, you, you know, you never can control completely kind of the external environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So, um, actually, it's interesting. I, I When I was a high school counselor, um, I worked with a student who suddenly, and this was a girl, I think this is more common with boys, you know, like um, she was a water polo player. She grew four inches. She like suddenly her play just elevated and she ended up, you know, I think like playing for Princeton, like she ended up being like a top recruit and it was relatively like late in the game. Yep. So. It's another reason to keep all uh, to to pursue it, and also keep, I think, all relationships cordial. I think so. No, no, a- absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, what happens? Um, so, once the recruit is working on their application, um, should they mention their athletics or should they avoid it? I always think this is kind of an interesting question because, on the one hand, the athletics is a really core part of who they are, but on the other hand. Um, you know, if they're on the recruit list, right? Like if the coach is already saying, I want this student, then everybody knows that already, right? Like, so, you know, in the application, you also want to highlight, especially for a D3 school, they're not bringing you in just because you're a good tennis player. They're bringing you in for your overall quality. So, you know, what's your advice when they're thinking about their application? No, it really is threading the needle to some degree. It's, it's It's not an easy balance to strike, but I absolutely think that if playing your sport is a salient part of your identity, and for many high school athletes it is, do not act like it's not. Um, absolutely feel comfortable mentioning that you play your sport. You can write your essay about playing your sport, but ultimately what's gonna, how it's going to be evaluated is the level of reflection, introspection, depth, and then 
how much it relates back to you. Like, how much is this your voice? How much is this an original kind of reflection or interpretation of their relationship with the sport? So absolutely, if that's something you want to do, I think that's fine. To your point, though, these are, you know, Division three schools are largely liberal arts colleges, and we're not admitting you just because you're good at your sport. There absolutely needs to be... Um, not only other information about things you're involved in or academic interests, but reasons why you're interested in the school. Um, so many, you know, schools have the supplemental question like, you know, why us? You know, why Occidental? Um, and it really shouldn't just be about playing X sport. It should be about the other opportunities that are offered at the school. So I think that's something that's critically important. But I also think that it's not, it's not necessarily uh, bad to address that you have a relationship with the coach because you can, you can even kind of leverage that relationship and experience to talk more substantively about the school. You know, mm-hmm. when I was walking around campus with coach so-and-so, I was really impressed by this or that. Um, so there are ways to, I think, um, show a, a, a more earnest level of interest by even addressing it in some cases. Yeah, actually, I read a great essay like that when I worked at the University of Chicago, which is also D3, where a football player talked about how one of the things he loved about the school is when he went on the visit, everybody talked with real excitement about what they were studying, and he was interested in classics, and there was even another classics major. And he just was blown away by that, because that just wasn't something he was finding as much at some of the other schools. But it, it, it was like... You know, so it was perfect for him. And I was so impressed with that essay. I was like, I love it that this guy is a football player and a Chicago nerd type. Like, it's perfect, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that's awesome. And, and to that end, in terms of uh, information that we seek out from coaches, obviously they give us kind of uh, a sense of the ability of the students they're recruiting. But I'm always curious, hey, when you interact with this student, what are they like? Like, you're going to understand their personal qualities maybe as well or better uh, than information we'll get in teacher recommendations. Um, so always make sure that, you know, if you're a recruited student-athlete, how you're presenting yourself to your coaches, because that's always information I'm curious to learn about as an admissions person as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I had a student who, he was actually a great guy, but he was very... Um, he was pretty reserved, and actually, as a result, some of his visits didn't go as well. Like, I liked him, but I don't know what he was doing on those visits. He wasn't sort of coming across as very interested, and as a result, he actually lost a couple spots like oh, wow. on his visit. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. really don't think, I really think the coaches would have told me if he was doing something overt, like drinking or something like that. Like, it just, like, what I heard back from his football coach is that he just was coming across as uninterested. So we had to like go, look, dude, you're there because you like the college, right? So you need to make sure to let them know that. You know? Like, yeah, wait, you like, you like this school, don't you? Right, like otherwise why are you there? You know, and he was like, oh, okay. You know, cause he was a sweet kid. He just was like so reserved, you know? So, but I think that goes to your point that like you're hearing from the other students, you know? that he's interacting with. So, I mean, the example I'm giving you is very uncommon. I think it's much more likely, the reason I'm telling it is because it's also like, look, if you act like a jerk, if you're inappropriate with other students for some reason, if you drink or something when you're not, you know, that's not okay. Like, realize that it's almost like an extended interview. I think it's really good for people to know that. No, absolutely. And I know our coaches uh, always ask the, the current players that are hosting the student what it was like to host them. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that always happens. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's really good for people to know. And so I just want to like, I'm this is kind of the last question here, but it sounds like the process then with D3 largely is going to wrap up around early decision. Like that's pretty much going to be when they're going to expect to tie you down. I think I've, I've seen a couple athletes, you know, get in and play with the regular decision process. But mm-hmm. it's mostly if you're a recruit early decision, like so the kind of November one deadline, is that accurate? So I think that's fair to say at the more selective uh, colleges, that's that's definitely my understanding as well. So, you know, at um, at more selective D3 schools, early decision is something where it's it's more common for athletes to apply then. But there's absolutely other Division three institutions that uh, – because of the size of their early pool and, and just sort of the the different places they occupy in the ecosystem, continue to recruit throughout throughout the cycle. So it depends a little bit on where you're where you're going, but yes, absolutely, there is an emphasis on early. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Very helpful and good point. Like the more selective the school, the more important this is going to be. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, listen. Thank you so much, Jordan. This was really great. Oh, Sally, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be talking with Kara Courtois about summer plans. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, And hi, Kara. Thank you for joining us today. 
Thanks for having me, Sally. All right. So we are here to start talking about summer planning. And I know that, or I should say, uh, planning for summer activities, you know, what is your student going to be doing? And I know that some people are thinking, isn't it a little early? It's January. There might be snow on the ground here in Connecticut, where I am talking from. It's actually about 20 degrees outside. So I know it does seem early, but uh, uh, I think there's good reasons to get started. What are some of your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And actually, um, as I, my kids get older <laughs> and break into the middle school sector, because that's new for me as a parent, um, I realized also for some of the pricier summer options, like if you're looking into summer programs, like the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, that's definitely been a, a big, a lot of families have been fans of that program. Uh, I noticed that the scholarship tend to be uh, advertised and have deadlines in January, February for some of the summer programs that I've been researching for my own daughter Um, and many families, you know, especially of the middle school, high school level, you know, if you're considering trying to send your child maybe away for the first time, that it can be just an amazing opportunity to take advantage of at least applying for a scholarship to see if they might uh, be eligible. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, some of these programs have very high costs. And I think that, you know, people regard the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth programs really positively. But do you think that all the summer programs are worth it? I mean, a lot of families come to me with, you know, expensive summer programs at the college or university that the student wants to attend. Uh, you know, they think like if I do the summer school at Harvard, it'll help me get into Harvard. And uh, what's your sense of whether those are actually to a student's advantage or not? I think the most important question to ask our parent or for a parent to ask themselves and their student when they're considering summer opportunities, especially those that have a cost, but just in general, is, you know, what are you hoping to achieve in the summer? You know, um, we're sort of moving away from the age where it's just pure outside bliss, (laughs) you know, maybe Mm -hmm constant uh, outdoor activities without sort of any, uh, you know, agenda and sometimes not any concrete learning component necessarily, though there's tons to be learned at the beach. But, um, you know, what, what's, the, what's the goal here? And if the goal is as it is in my own family with my nieces and nephews, especially who've been older, is I believe anybody who thinks they want to go away from home for college, more than two hours away especially, you need to go away for at least two to three weeks sometime during high school. So sometimes that's the pure goal. And if it is, you know, then it doesn't necessarily matter exactly where that is. But then the next question is, you know, really what would they like to learn in that period of time? If it's just independence, it's a little bit simpler. But if it's also getting to know a particular school to know if, you know, that environment seems to suit their personality. I don't know if the summer does that, you know, quite as much. Like a Duke summer program isn't exactly like a Duke uh, academic experience, I don't think. But what else do they offer on the campus? If you're trying to learn science research and they happen to have a summer science research research program, it could could sort of, you know, um, feed two birds with one seed, I think is the expression, or, uh, you know, being able to achieve, you know, two things at one time. And uh, that's, that's fantastic, you know, if that's in your family's budget. Uh, but the key thing, and I think a key part of your question is, 
is Duke going to see that as evidence that, you know, you're, they should take you in their acceptance process or their admissions process, you know, a year or two later? Um, it might be interesting to them, and it might mean that you might write a more thoughtful supplemental essay about why you want to go to that school in particular or why you want a particular major. But in and of itself, the fact that you paid for that program isn't evidence to them of, you know, uh, that you're a perfect match for the school necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of, it's really focused on what are the reasons that we're doing this, you know, having our child do this summer program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I what I tell people is that it's it's nothing that can't, like generally speaking, there are colleges, and I don't know if Duke is one of them, that consider demonstrated interest. They want to see that you've actually, um, that you know something about the college, but you can demonstrate that by visiting the college and by writing a good this college essay. So it doesn't have to come through, you know, $4,000 for tuition for a summer program. Um, but yeah, I completely exactly. agree. This summer program may be ideal for you. It might be a really excellent program, and then that is actually you know, a good reason to do it. Um, but let's kind of, let's like dig in a little bit more to like, what are some of the things that students might be wanting to achieve with a summer break, uh, with a summer program? Like, you know, one of them is independence, right? And you've mentioned summer research. Mm-hmm. What yep. are some other things that, that students might be um, thinking about? I often think it's, you know, what is it that you don't have time for during the school year or maybe your school doesn't offer? So for some students that might be, you know, maybe they're an athlete during the school year and so they don't have as much time to dig into something like robotics, but they have a real interest in kind of those engineering skills and they've always wanted to try it. So the summer could be such a great time to unpack that interest a little bit further and probably do it in a place that has even better equipment <laughs> than maybe their local high school might even have. But it mm-hmm. could be just a, a really fun time to take an interest that you don't have either time or, um, you know, the uh, local facilities uh, in your school or area to be able to pursue. So summer can just be just a fantastic time to do that. Uh, it might be a core, you know, skill specifically. So I know... With students who are artists, for instance, if they want to learn a new medium of art that they haven't pursued or they want to go more deeply, you know, with that, a student who's, you know, been interested in fashion kind of at a high level and they follow, you know, certain fashion trends online and they, you know, might have taken maybe like an intro marketing fashion design uh, type class at school, but they haven't actually had hands-on experience you know, with sewing and cutting and, um, you know, real design templates, whatever they do. I'm not going to pretend to know. <laughs> you know so, um, that can be super exciting. And uh, honestly, one of the things that I found so helpful, too, is that it demystifies that whole idea of a major before a student has invested potentially in heading down that road for their college, especially something as narrow as, say, a fashion degree where not a ton of schools will offer that. We don't usually counsel students to choose major first. It's more like overall fit of a campus. What a great way. I've had students for sure come back from a summer program and say, huh, 
you know, I'm not really sure I want to be a fashion major, <laughs> you know, that I really realized that some of the pieces that I learned, you know, maybe not just from the, the class itself, but sometimes like the speakers that they bring in during a summer experience can help them look beyond just that, that sort of narrow lens. And that is a huge value, I would say. Um, that surprises a lot of students and families. Um, I don't find it surprising. I find it really helpful in the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. A student of mine went on a kind of leadership. It's the title of something like National Leadership Conference for Medicine. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. these are these are not these sort of week long conferences are not helpful in getting you into college. Um, but um, what I told the student is you might learn a lot from it. So I'm not saying it's not worth uh-huh. it. You just need to know it's not something I'm going to have you put on your activity list. And um, exactly. she went and her mother was like, that is the best money I ever spent because she came back and said, yeah. I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> you know, yeah. it gave her some yeah. genuine insight into what it is to be a doctor. And so that one week, you know, for her was 100% worth it. And then she started to refocus more on, um, you know, some of the other areas of interest. I mean, she was a high school student, so she was still taking her five cores and everything like that. But her, she started to kind of experiment a little bit more with her extracurriculars, which I thought was great. Completely. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't and, agree more. And I feel like like 50% of the time that that's the end result is it gets students out of a box that they might have put themselves in at kindergarten, you know, when they were playing with a stethoscope, <laughs> just thinking, yeah, I want to be a doctor, and which is wonderful and lovely. But they have maybe different skills or just really it demystifies a lot of it and, um, you know, may not talk them out of something completely. But as you say, I love it. They broaden their awareness of self and willingness to maybe try different activities or classes to test the waters. So mm-hmm. it's, I agree with that, parent. I think that's a huge value to that investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my nephew is in 10th grade, and he's interested in engineering, but there are no engineering courses at his high school. There is a robotics club. It's brand new, so he is getting something out of it, but it's not as well-developed as some of these. You know, it's only like a year old. Um, so... You know, I've told his parents, my sister and my brother-in-law, that he really should plan on doing an engineering course this summer after his uh-huh. junior year to really so that he yeah. can figure out if it is something that he wants to do. Um, now, his uh-huh. backup is being an astrophysicist, so we'll see. <laughs> but, you know, uh, <laughs> we shall see. Um, but, uh, you know... Yeah, it's just all about the exposure and him thinking about whether he, you know, he'll be taking physics, so he'll have a sense of the theoretical aspect. Is he going to enjoy the more applied uh, version of this? Couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. So when when you and I talked about this earlier, too, one of the big things that we talked about um, was how these summer opportunities are also a really good chance for students to push past their comfort zone. And I think that, you you know, you talked about that you know, we talk about that in terms of if you're going to be going away to school, um, you know, you need to be sure that you're going to be comfortable. You know, you can't go across the country for the first time in college. If you've never done that before, college should not be the first time you do it. You need to have some other experiences with being away from your parents for a couple of months, ideally. So, um, but one of the things that I thought was important was also, just that students should also ideally learn to pursue some of their own opportunities. Like, this is a real opportunity for students to show some chutzpah. 
Definitely. And just even that dynamic of maybe for the first time having to navigate, you know, a campus without their best friend on their shoulder, you know, when they enter a new school or, um, you know, meeting a professor, you know, and just dealing with the intimidation that that might, you know, bring and, and how to navigate that, um, you know, asking their own questions, et cetera. But there, there is so much endless value that uh, I don't think that I would have really understood and fully as a parent, I'm speaking, you know, until I uh, started, you know, into admissions and started to hear the feedback, you know, from students who were already at the school and see how seamlessly they transition when they've had those experiences where they're slowly stepping away from their parents. I think that mm-hmm. can't be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the time I went to college, I'd actually had a gap year. So I was not freaked out at being away from home. And there was a noticeable difference uh, between me and my roommates. I could tell in sort of how they were mm-hmm. functioning and, you know, um, so. Um, all right. Oh, Karen, 100%. Well, this... I never went away. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Until college. And I was like, whoa, just... how'd that happen? Yeah, it's off topic, but I'll just say I think a gap year or like a summer abroad is, is you know, these are very good things. So, um, all right. Well, thank you. so Thank you so much, Kara. Thanks for talking, Sally. Have a great day. You too. All right. And thanks to all my guests today. Now I want to tell you about our show next week. Did you know that demonstrated interest has become a factor in many colleges' admission decisions? My guests and I will be discussing demonstrated interest as well as how to compare financial aid award letters, so be sure to join us. Um, Also, Getting In is running a contest called Ask the Host. Have you ever wished you could be on the air with us, getting your question answered live by one of us? This is your chance. If you're interested, shoot us a private message on our College Coach Facebook account. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download, download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find past shows featuring our core office hour segments on topics like what to do if you miss the January 1 deadlines and answering listener questions. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time and is absolutely free. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.